Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, a lot of things to get to tonight, Bud. Uh, by no means a empty schedule. A lot of quality listener questions that will actually encapsulate some of the themes that we have on here. Uh, but we're going to give a, a recruiting update. Uh, going to not talk a whole lot of uh, time on this, but certainly going to give an update as to where we stand uh, with college football and COVID's impact on that. Um, and then we have some uh, quick discussion about uh, revisiting a subject that we discussed last time, and that is uh, the name of Doe Campbell Stadium and where we go from here. So uh, that and more on tonight's Nolcast. As always, we will tip our hat uh, to New Iberia, Louisiana, and the good people at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, one fantastic title sponsor for the Nolcast, and they are behind everything that we've been able to do, and we will thank them as always. And with that, bud, let's jump into it. Yeah, let, let's let's go ahead and do that. Uh, so, a lot of good stuff to talk tonight. We we do thank Louisiana Hot Sauce, and uh, I'm excited about our, our, our Q and A work tonight uh, as well. But uh, where, where where do you want to start? We we have so many things to talk about. We have you know some recruiting stuff. We have you know obviously player empowerment. We have like the the questions about will the conference kind of be all together? Which I, maybe they will, maybe, maybe they won't, and and would that affect you? We have some out of conference games. Anthony Grant's no longer with the team. Where uh, where do you want to begin? Let's do. Uh, let's try to keep this to five minutes for those who just hate the subject matter in general. Uh, and I understand, but let's let's give our COVID update here uh, as to kind of where we think we are and uh, what we look like at this point in time. Obviously, there's been a lot of stories recently as far as players testing uh, positive as as programs resume their workouts. Um, statistically, and, and we're not going to make light of anything, but statistically. The players are in all likelihood will be fine. doesn't mean it diminishes their concern or their parents' concern for them. What my greater concern uh, is, is that, uh, you know, when you have a player test positive and then a player goes home and, and visits his parents or his grandparents, well, statistically, they may not be as fine. Uh, and that's going to be a concern for every program uh, across the country. And with some of these numbers that we've seen, whether it be LSU, Clemson, Bama, you're seeing a lot of people test positive. And again, testing positive does not mean massive amounts of doom and gloom per se, uh, but it is a significant development and something that programs, including Florida State, are trying to wrap their hands around, trying to see exactly what the best method and, and how they're going to be able to proceed. Like you mentioned, m- more testing does reveal more more positives. Uh, I was watching uh, Governor Sanders' press conference today in Florida, and he mentioned, like, look, the uh, the you know the acuity of of the like on average has gone down because a lot of these people who are testing positive are people who are returning to work and are required to test when they, when they return to work or people who are returning to campus and, and they're required to test. So on average, the, you know, just, just how acute it is uh, has gone down slightly, but you're right. It, it certainly remains a concern. Um, from my standpoint, I think that because of the age of the players, uh, because of that because of the spread, because of, of kind of what we see that this virus do in, in different populations, I think that this, like these testing revelations and largely the testing numbers as a whole, they probably have a greater impact on your ability to have fans in the stands or how many fans you have in the stands than they do on like actually having the players play. I, from everybody I talked to, like, they still think they're going to play this fall, right? Like, like even USC tonight revealed their plan for players returning to campus in order to, to kick off the season in time. Now, is it the best idea to play in the fall? I, I don't know. 
like I, I, I'd be willing to hear an argument that it's not. I, I tend to think the risk is, you know, somewhat low, specifically for that age group. But to your point, probably pretty high for the people who those those folks you know interact with, whether it's their you know, grandparents or or some of their elders. Uh, but financially, these universities are going to press forward with playing unless they just absolutely cannot do so. Like that, like this is a business, and the players are unfortunately for them seen pretty much by by the university as as kind of a cog in that machine uh and so that's that's kind of where we stand i i think that these games are going to be played could be wrong but i i don't think you're going to have anywhere close to full attendance that that would surprise me i i don't want us to kind of roller coaster ride this whole thing through where we go up and and then back down and um, I will say that I'm exceptionally concerned for the season at this point. I, over the last five days and, and week of conversation I've had uh, with people that, um, you know, the, the certainty that we were going to play is, is certainly gone from my, my tone of voice. We'll see. You'll see what happens. And, and another kind of ingredient in this episode that has made things more complicated is that, and you've seen it play out in, at Florida State and other universities, you certainly see uh, the players with a uh, with an incensed feeling of empowerment, and, that, and that's nothing but a good thing. I'm not trying to uh, bemean that or, or kind of speak in a backhanded manner of it, but this is also kind of their first avenue to express that empowerment. And players are concerned for themselves. Players are concerned uh, for their parents, and some of their parents are, are exceptionally concerned for for the players. And and uh, you know, certainly Bud and I are, are never trying to make light of this. And when we talk about a kid that in all likelihood is not going to be have his health impacted from a standpoint of is his life at risk from COVID. If you're a player, player of a parent or a player and say, well, that's all well and good for you. What if my lung capacity is reduced by 20%? What if, you know, that that's, that's for potentially a, a career altering uh, trajectory. So it's going to be a complicated issue. It, it is. And it's going to be a complicated issue uh, from different aspects that schools have to to navigate. One um, aspect of this from a Florida State perspective is that, uh, and, and neither of us are trying to spread rumors or, or go around uh, suggesting things, but there is concern within the conference that one or two institutions are really looking at perhaps not playing sports at all in the fall. And I don't know that that would immediately take Florida State out of the running, but if you see any kind of cascade effect, obviously that's going to have significant uh, impact on, on what your schedule looks like or what your schedule even could be. So, uh, you know, keep, keep your eyes peeled to the states of North Carolina and Virginia and see if you see any kind of uh, progression from that. And that's, uh, you know, as we've talked about, Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, if either of those schools start to make a movement, uh, that's going to be something that may have an impact on the broader conference. I think we kind of hear from the same people who are worried, like, look, they, they remember what, what team was, was kind of the first team to say we're not playing in the ACC basketball tournament, right? And look, that team was right to, to say, hey, like, we're, we're not risking this. You, you, you crazy? Like, we don't, we don't know enough about this yet, but like, it, it's, this stuff is spreading like crazy. So, you know, not, not, not to have a, a, a COVID cast, but you, you're right. Like, I, I do think that players have more choice uh, than ever. And I think that schools ultimately have to look at what other schools in your league are doing. But yet, like, Let's say that just one school in the ACC said, "Hey, we're not playing." You, you think that like Florida State's gonna gonna let them or like like let that cause them not to play? Is there a critical mass? I don't think it would. Uh, I do think there's a critical mass. 
I don't know what that number is. And, and I don't know that anybody knows that number uh, immediately, but um, I do know kind of the, the power brokers in this conference and how things get dictated at times. Uh, and I think if you have two of those three schools that I just mentioned, that I would be very concerned about, uh, about where it goes from there. So I agree with you. Say, all right, let's say tomorrow that Duke and Wake Forest declare that they're not going to play sports. Does that take football off the schedule for Florida State? No, I don't think it does. If you start to see more schools do it, if, if North Carolina gets involved, then I would, be, uh, I would be concerned for the broader conference schedule. Yeah, and I mean, I ultimately, I think because of the conference that it's in and the geographic location of that league, like I think the SEC is going to play ball, and I think the majority of the, SC, or the ACC schools are, are going to play. Just looking at the political makeup of the states in which like these programs are located suggests to me they're going to play. I have a lot less confidence in the West Coast uh, schools playing, right? I think the same pattern, and I know we have a question about this, kind of follows for, uh, for some of like the FCS and, and the high school ranks, right? Like we had a very uh, prominent Los Angeles Times writer today tweeting that a lot of coaches out there at the high school level in Cali I have real doubts that their season's going to get played this year, or at least in the fall. Maybe it gets pushed to January for the high school level. The high school coaches I know down here think they're going to play. Now, they don't have a perfect plan for it yet, but they think they're going to play. Hell, one of them got in trouble for uh, having a practice. He's like, hey, screw it. We're going to have spring practice. You know, so <laughs> I, I, I just think, uh, again, my confidence that they're going to play does not necessarily indicate, like me rubber stamping, that it's a good idea. Certainly, I think the demographic of the players, as far as their age group, lends itself to it being safer for them than maybe for other age groups to, to play. Uh, and you'd have to have like the corresponding distancing when they get out of the games and testing, but also like the staying away from people who are in potentially vulnerable age groups or more vulnerable age groups. But I mean, I, I think if you're a major football school in the South, you probably need to plan on playing. We will uh, certainly continue to watch it, monitor it, and uh, at that point, we'll kind of leave people alone with the COVID talk other than this one parting shot that Bud and I have been exceptionally concerned about both out-of-conference games uh, for a while now, and nothing about that has changed. Uh, in fact, with the idea that Boise has suspended workouts, um, not, that, you know, not that I think that game needed anything to tip it in its favor of having concern for it, but that's just another kind of feather in the cap. Uh, as far as something to watch for, and I'm, I imagine this is probably being done, but if I'm Florida State and I have an interest in playing as many games as possible, I would actively be searching for someone to fill that spot because, in my opinion, it's more a matter of when rather than if uh, that one becomes open. Absolutely. I think that's, that's very fair. Like you said, they, they, Boise just suspended its stuff. You need to be doing your due diligence and looking for potential local replacements. In fact, I... We have a fun article coming out at 247sports.com this week that I I thought of, and we're going to have one of our guys write it. But, like, let's think of 10 non conference, like close to home non conference games that these teams could play uh, if, for some reason, like jet setting across the country is not a thing that that we're going to have teams doing uh, in in early September uh, to play some of these these non con games. Uh, So, yeah, the Boise game, I would be, uh, I'd be watching that one closely. For sure, I'd also be watching to see the uh, maybe the location of, of the West Virginia game. I don't know. Are, are, are some of these cities going to want to host these non-conference games and have a bunch of people come in from out of town? I, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. 
All right, we'll move to uh, the subject matter of recruiting here. Had a, a couple top threes that came out, a commitment of one prospect that Florida State was tangentially involved in. Uh, Keon Coleman, real big wide receiver out of Louisiana, six foot four prospect, named a top three. Florida State's not in it. Um, I'll ask your thoughts. Yeah, so certainly a very disappointing result for, for Florida State. I, I think the staff thought that they were probably uh, going to make that that top three, uh, or at least they, they thought they had done a nice job recruiting him. I, I don't think that they thought they were the favorite to land him, uh, but he's a prospect they're not going to stop recruiting either. Uh, he's a guy, really good athlete, legitimate basketball player, like just and, and freaky, not like go to the NBA legitimate, but certainly he's a guy who his his athletic career started. Uh, primarily as a basketball guy. He got some basketball offers. So his top three was uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, and South Carolina, You know, all who have varying level of, of basketball programs. I, I certainly think Florida State's hoops program is better than South Carolina and Oklahoma's. It's obviously not as good as Kansas's hoops program. But uh, running backs coach David Johnson uh, is a guy who has a lot of success in Louisiana. He's obviously coached down there. He's recruited the area, the area heavily, and uh, so has have several other guys on the staff. And, and so that, that's that's a bit of a blow for FSU not to even make the the top three um, for for Coleman. You know, kind of another, another sign. We we spoke on the phone earlier today, and uh, you know, I was kind of expressing to you some of the, the disconnect I, I think that you see between recruits and then what fans tend to think. And you know, Ingram, I, I got to thinking about this, but. You know who Mike Norvell is, and and pretty much all the listeners of this podcast do because I think we've done a pretty good job explaining, you know, what he does, what what his offense does, his track record, his success, that that type of thing. But you have to understand, most recruits out there don't have a damn idea who Mike Norvell is. Like they don't, most recruits don't watch that much college football, and they sure as hell aren't watching Memphis. Okay, they're not following these storylines quite as close. And I'm not saying they don't like they never heard of Mike Norvell. But they certainly don't like think of him as like a guy who, like, he's not just like an obvious home run hire in their eyes. He is going to be a guy who's going to have to prove it some. He's not a dude who's going to come in and provide a big recruiting spark, right? Um, he also is not somebody who has been recruiting most of these prospects for a long time at his prior, you know, Power Five school. If if you hire somebody like off of, I don't know, like if you go get Georgia's top guy or something. There's a whole lot of problems that, that could come with that, with, with hiring somebody so inexperienced. And, and I would not be in favor of going the coordinator route. But like one of the things that could help you in is just having that existing relationship with, with kids who like, hey, I've been recruiting you since you were a sophomore. Because Mike was at, at Memphis, he wasn't recruiting a lot of these guys at Memphis. Like Memphis had no shot to get some of these guys. Uh, and so it's a new relationship having to be formed with this staff uh, and most of the guys on this staff with these players who quite frankly don't really know who this staff is. They haven't heard of this staff. Like it, it's, this is probably going to be a bit of a slow burn. It's one of the, uh, you know, one of the drawbacks of hiring from, from a program like Memphis. Um, and unfortunately it's just one of the drawbacks that was then exceptionally magnified in a manner because of, of COVID and, and uh, the inability to meet in person and everything else that went with it. Uh, that was only, you know, put on a spotlight and made all the more important. I, you know, I've done this null cast for a long time and have worked in the field of sports for about 15 years prior to maybe uh, October of last year. I knew the name Mike Norvell, but if Mike Norvell walked up to me in a room and was like the waiter at the restaurant that I went to, I don't know that I would have recognized Mike Norvell at all. So certainly uh, some brand building to take place there. 
you know, in my opinion, he's not like the the coach that when he goes and visits the high school, a bunch of kids tweet like, oh, Mike Norvell. I saw Mike Norvell walk into the halls right now. Maybe the case in 10 years, maybe the case in five years. Uh, but for now, uh, Norvell and the vast majority of staff have a, have a lot of relationship building to do. And uh, because of the unique character, uh, the unique situations that have existed in 2020, uh, that relationship building has taken place, but certainly not to the extent that it perhaps could have otherwise. Some other news, uh, Jacoby Jackson, offensive uh, lineman from Texas, uh, committed to, to uh, TCU. That's a player Florida State was in on. He obviously never visited the Knowles because of the quarantine thing, so he elects to stay closer to home. Uh, and uh, Florida State, I know the next natural question is like, okay, who else are they going after on the offensive line? Uh, and one would be, uh, Ruquan Buckley, kid out of Michigan. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, what what we've heard is that Florida State actually does not feel that bad about the floor of its position on the offensive line going forward, uh, specifically at tackle. They they think they signed enough guys over the last two years at the tackle position to to have a decent floor for it. Now, maybe not this year, but like you know going forward, which is when these these class of twenty twenty one guys. Would impact, and they they think they're going to sign a much better class in twenty two. They they know that the kids they're signing this year aren't that good, right? Like, let's not sugarcoat this. This class lacks talent. There's some good players, but they're not like game changing players for the most part in most at most of these spots. So, what they don't want to do is just load up on bodies on the offensive line who they think they are going to like get passed over with the studs they anticipate signing in the twenty two class. Like if they take an offensive tackle this year, clearly they they're going to. But their goal when they're taking an offensive tackle is to take somebody. He might be raw, but like at le- they at least want him to have the the upside potential, which would allow him to compete for his spot against a more talented, better player, probably more refined player, who they sign in the twenty two class. So that at least there's a competition there. They don't want whoever they sign in twenty one just to be immediately leapfrogged. By the guy that they signed in 22, and then they had that roster spot kind of just, you know, being used there for all, all four years. Does that, does that make sense? So with, with Buckley, he's a low floor, high upside guy. He needs to add weight. He is pretty athletic. You know, like he's kind of a roulette chip. If they hit on him, awesome. You know, obviously they have, they have to sign him first, but that that's the kind of guy they're they're going after in this class at offensive tackle. I I think with some of their takes on the interior. They might not be all that in love with the floor of their interior because I don't think Slaughter and the other kid from Georgia who they designed have the highest potential in the world. Like I don't think they're anything special. I think they're fine, but like realistically, they don't look great. To me, that's just perhaps their thoughts on the interior of the offensive line or that it needs some more floor help, whereas the tackle position might need more ceiling help. So a uh, story that uh, I guess came out and was confirmed today is that Anthony Grant or yesterday's Anthony Grant is no longer with the team. Now, when I say con- confirm, because Anthony Grant has not really been with the team for about eight months now or so, or at least he's been on and off in different capacities, uh, maybe is a better description of it. But Grant, really talented player out of the Buford area here in Metro Atlanta. One of the better, just pure football players that I think Willie Taggart signed um, could play about eight different positions. I don't know that he was going to be a superstar running back, but I certainly think he had the ability to contribute. And I also think he could have been a linebacker, strong safety, blah, blah, blah. And whatever he is, he's not going to become it at Florida State. So uh, physically gifted player, hard hitter, uh, but a guy who really wasn't with the program much at all last year. And uh, his kind of 
permanent vacation, uh, at least for Florida State, was was confirmed over the weekend. Sucks to see Grant go. Obviously, some some of the stuff out of his control. I think some of the stuff within his control. A, a very tough situation personally, from from what I understand. I'm not going to go into that more than that. Yeah, but I mean, it's he was one of your more talented guys when he was in shape and and when he was right. But like that wasn't often enough. I think it makes you very much more appreciative to get to Sean Corbin in here, right? The transfer from Texas A&M, who, who was a guy, I believe, in that recruiting class who, who you were trying to sign and, and did not end up signing because A&M got him in that year. So I also think the other thing to note is that Florida State's level on their scholarship numbers at this point. Um, so just, just one more thing to keep track of and doesn't look as though the roster needs any additional thinning, at least at this point in time, for them to, uh, to get where they need to be from an overall scholarship standpoint. We will pause ever so briefly to thank our friends at Madison Social uh, for the Table Restaurant Group in general. Uh, the support that they've been given by both the broader community and the Nullcast listenership has been uh, exceptional. want to continue to remind you that they uh, offer takeaway and that they have a large kind of open-air seating uh, if you wish to go and dine in. A fantastic group, fantastic people, a group that has their finger on kind of the the heartbeat of Florida State Athletics and the experience of being a Florida State Athletics supporter uh, in a manner that I really don't think is replicated anywhere else. So uh, to Matt and his team, certainly thank you for all the support they've given us over the years. And to the listeners, uh, we would just ask that if possible, uh, you continue to give that support to them. No doubt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. All right. So let's go ahead and talk uh, listener questions here from our patreon.com members. That's patreon.com slash Nolcast. Really appreciate those guys sending in those questions to us. Uh, And so our first one comes from Christian and he says, hey, do you expect recent events with players finding your voice around the country, but especially in our program, will impact Norbell's policies on hoodies, headphones, earrings, et cetera, in the building? Uh, I absolutely see where he is coming from with the headphones and hoodies, uh, but I can also see how the earrings part may get some pushback from players. Uh, Ingram, you want to take this first? I really see it as a as a kind of a non-issue, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to skirt the question. I, I think that some of those l- rules will probably be lax uh, if, if they're enforced at all at this point. Now, I may be wrong about that, but you may have a better line on information of it. Uh, there's about 100 different things with this program that I'm trying to keep my finger on and, and give you guys as good of a an idea as possible as to what's going on. And uh, just to be perfectly honest with you, the dress code is, is not one of them. Um, so... What is a? Uh, I'll be more interested in your feedback on this one. I think that event. I, I think that Norvell will eventually have to do away with some or all of these, right? Like I know that they're applauded by some of our listeners and, and by some of the boosters, but realistically, uh, some of these can just be so easily misconstrued as to the purpose or as to the the you know kind of background reason for them. Um, like it looks like it probably targets a specific type of player, specifically the earrings thing, right? I think you can, like if I was Mike Norvell and I wanted to keep some of these, right? And I, I thought it was important to my culture. I would keep that you cannot have your hoods up in the building and I would keep the no headphones on in the building rule. I would probably rebrand, like I, I'd be really, really clear with like, hey, it's not no hoodies, it's no hoods up in the building. And it's, you can't have your AirPods on in the building, like during meetings and stuff, okay? Like if you're sitting in your locker, you're studying, whatever, like that's in the building. But 
I, I think I would make a real effort to to clarify that because it, it's very easily misconstrued and then could be used against you in negative recruiting, particularly because we, he's already had a slip up, right? And FSU fans are quick to point out that it's not the same thing as some of the other coaches have had slip ups, and, and they're right. But yet his name's still going to be mentioned with those other coaches in those articles because it's you know something that was related to it. The earrings thing I would ditch immediately. To me, that that like is very easily seen as something that's targeting a specific player, uh, or excuse me, a specific you know type of player on your team. Um, it does not have anything to do with clear and concise communication in the building, and and I don't buy into the whole like self, it's a self sacrifice to to not wear to not wear earrings thing, right? Um, so no, I I think he's. I think he's going to have to get rid of the earrings policy. And I think the quicker that, that he, that he, he uh, can kind of differentiate the earrings thing from maybe don't wear your hoods up in the building and no, uh, no, you know, no headphones in, in the building, like during meetings, the better. But the, the earrings thing is, is, I don't think it's going to be able to last. Somebody will make a big deal out of that at some point, like a player. Santosh gives us our next question. Uh, Mr. Tosh writes, assuming y'all will talk about the Doke renaming rumors, uh, not that this is likely to happen, but my suggestion for stadium name is Spank Stadium, preferably with a huge donation from our billionaire alumna. Think of the headlines, FSU spanks Wank Forest, and maybe in time, FSU spanks Clemson. Uh, I could see some more if we really want to go uh, all in on this. Um, you could have like the the stretch like, like stretch zone run of the game. Uh, you could also have like like the great contain play of the game, where, where you, you get you get your defensive end to like contain responsibility, and he he, he turns the, turns the play back into the to the flowing backer. I mean, we we have all these things, right? Like we we, we could do. Um, do they make spanks for men? Like that that could even be a thing that you could probably sell. Yeah, so a quick update on this, by the way. Uh, so John Thrasher, president of Florida State, uh, responding to a petition uh, from former Florida State linebacker Kendrick Scott, got a couple hundred signatures last I saw on a petition to change the name uh, of Doe Campbell Stadium. Doe Campbell, the former university president, John Thrasher, current president, writes uh, on Twitter, quote, I've been following with great interest the petition circulating on social media asserting that Doe Gas Campbell State, uh, FSU's president in 1947 during his transition from Florida State College for Women resisted integration and asking that the stadium no longer bear his name. I've asked athletics director, athletics director David Coburn to immediately review this issue and make recommendations to me. I look forward to receiving this, his report soon. A, it's a stall tactic, right? They're trying to kind of take the temperature of the room. I, th- I think they're acknowledging what's going on, certainly. You know, we talked about this last podcast. Uh, I gave the opinion that I didn't think the name would be on the stadium in a certain period of time and uh, got some blowback for that, but that's fine. That's not to be, un, you know, ex- unexpected. I'll put it that way. It's a real uh, it's a real good thing we haven't dumped matters of importance on, uh, on Coburn's lap during this period of time he's been athletic director, huh? Um, I mean, the amount of stuff that this guy's had to do is insane. And um, I think he's done a good job, and I think certainly hasn't been a lack of effort or anything else. And when I say I think he's done a good job, I'm not setting that up to then be critical of him. I just think it's imperative that Florida State gets someone in that position that is trained and, and is, you know, athletics director is the profession that he pursued and is the profession that he's familiar with. And as long as you continue to have someone that's more or less a stopgap there, uh, these massive issues are going to come up and are going to be presented to him. So I think the name will, I think the stadium will have a different name. 
there was some talk at one point in time about trying to group the basketball stadium and the football stadium together and maybe have the basketball be a little bit more of the corporate sponsorship, just, you know, no frill, just American Express Stadium while the football stadium was stadium name Bobby Bowden Field presented by MX or something like that. Um, I don't know that, you know, at this point, I think they're open to all conversations at this point. Uh, and that, you know, any name that you put on a stadium is going to have some point to where it's revisited. And uh, so maybe just the move is to have, you know, Chief Osceola Stadium brought to you by MX or something like that. Um, Which opens up a whole other potential, like, line of questioning. Def- definitely. There's no real move here that doesn't bring some sort of, of questioning at some point in time. I mean, remember, remember what FAU Stadium had? What was that exactly? They had, uh, like, they were sponsored by, like, one of the private prisons that had, like, the crazy, like, abuse scandals going on. Geo Group Stadium, named after the nation's second largest for-profit prison operator. Uh, and then they had a couple scandals go on. and uh, Not the not necessarily the best choice. Um, look, I could be wildly wrong about this, but one of the more rumors that I was quick to dismiss during the coaching search was the idea that Sarah Blakely was going to write some kind of $50 million check or something like that. I, I love the idea Again, maybe in six months, uh, you know, I'll have something you guys can dunk on me in social media all the time. I'd love it. I love it if that's the case. But I haven't received any kind of indication that Sarah Blakely's in a place, or, or not that she's not in a place, but that she's on the verge of making some kind of monumental uh, gift or um, that the stadium's necessarily going to be named after a company at any point in time. So maybe that'll change. Uh, maybe with you know, there'll be a new president who's able to strike up a relationship with her to where she's uh, more likely to give to athletics. But uh, when looking at that one individual, um, I would be skeptical as to whether or not that ever comes to fruition. I, I am a little bit less convinced than you are about the stadium being renamed in the same time frame that you are, by the way. Um, I, I think if it was a done deal that they were going to rename it uh, for this season, just to be clear, I've not that I've never said that. I, I said five years on the last episode. Uh, I was not not saying an imminent renaming. That's probably fair. Um, we have to realize that, like, if it was named, you know, like Nathan Bedford Forest Stadium or something like that, I think, like, like I think Thrasher's statement would be different. You know, it'd be like, hey, we're immediately going to going to like launch a committee to figure out what the new name will be. Thrasher is a politician by nature. Right, I mean, that's what he did for years. So, I think he's trying to take the temperature on, like, just how important it's going to be to rename this stadium. Is it a, is it going to be a petition with a couple hundred signatures, or is it going to be something that's going to grow a whole lot? Is it you know is it something he's going to get talked to by students and faculty and you know boosters? I I think he's going to take all of that into consideration. But ultimately, within five years, I, I think you're right. Yeah, my my bad. Uh, I, I thought you I thought you meant this year. I was like, I'm. I think he, that's kind of a stall tactic statement put out by him. No, it, 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 I would say probably probably within three years at this point. Whatever the names, in my opinion, is going to change at some point in time. The the window of time is not all that important. And and also, you know, these things don't just take place immediately. If if uh, if Sarah Williams, a, a senior vice president at Amex, calls you on Tuesday, you know, the next Friday you're not announcing Amex Stadium or whatever. This this is a long complicated process uh, to where you got to try to figure out a window of time that's appropriate for you and the partner uh, that you're not, you know, gouging or pricing yourself out of, you know, last thing you want to do is 
sign some kind of 10-year deal that you're locked into and you've given away rights at, at significantly below market value. So uh, something to watch, something that I think will, will play out over time um, and we'll, you know, we'll continue to try to bring you the most up-to-date information as possible. All right. Uh, so Chris asks, uh, what does Anthony Grant's loss mean for this team? Do we take another running back in this 2021 class uh, because of it? Well, uh, it certainly means that like one fewer option uh, is on the table for this season. That, that's kind of obvious. That, that's probably not what y'all Patreon folks pay for me to say. Uh, but like, it's not a positive necessarily. Although I, I think some guys might tell you that it is positive because he was not trending in a direction where they thought he was going to be a contributor. So now, now they have freed up that roster spot. Will they take another running back in this 2021 class because of it? No, I, I, I don't think so. I think they were most likely already planning on some attrition from the current running back room following this year. So for it to happen before the 2021 season really does not change the, the timetable relative to the 2021 class uh, that, that, that they're trying to sign. So they would still like to take it back. I know they're in on Katravian Hargrove. They're in on the on uh, on White. They're in on on a couple backs who, who they like, and I I think they do want to sign a running back in this class. But I I don't think that his loss is going to change the what they plan to do recruiting wise. Do you? Uh, no, I don't think that's gonna gonna make a big impact. And I think uh, I don't know if loss cause is the right term, but to see him leave the program doesn't come as a surprise to many close to it. I'll put it that way. And I, I think that that was. Uh, you know, something that there was certainly a contingency plan for, if not um, uh, outright planned on. So really talented kid. You lose some versatility. You lose a kid that can play special teams. You can lose a kid that if you had some kind of bizarre injury streak over the over the summer that you could have moved to safety or something like that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what it means. Uh, hopefully Grant has the best of luck wherever he lands, but uh, I don't think it's going to shape Florida State's uh, existing current uh, recruiting plans or strategy tied to it. Um, interesting question that we got from Josh. Uh, Josh asked us to do something that we're not uh, exceptionally fond of, but I thought it was a really good uh, subject matter from a, a group of people that put out good content. So we'll piggyback off of it. The 247 pod on the bench uh, was recently discussing a hypothetical as to whose program you would want to inherit. And now I believe they did, and we certainly are going to take the COVID complications out of the conversation um, and try not to factor that into our, our answer. But the question was, uh, you know, would you, would you have rather inherited Willie's post-Jimbo program or uh, Norvell's post-Willie program? And there's certainly some pluses and minuses that need to be weighed to kind of come to an answer, at least uh, when I've when I jotted this down, there's, there's certainly some different um, positive aspects as to depending on at what point in time you, uh, you took over the reign. I think it's pretty cool. This is, a, this is a, a pretty neat question. And it is kind of hard for me to separate out the COVID stuff based on what's already happened to, to recruiting you know, due, due to the COVID stuff. You want to go first or you go second? Um, I'll go first. I will say that overall, I think I would probably take, a, I would prefer Norvell's position. But there's a lot of positives uh, and negatives when viewing Willie. But if you were to inherit the program where Willie did, certainly you inherited a, a mess and a locker room that was problematic, but you inherited some exceptionally talented individuals, uh, guys that are going to be first round picks. Now, Norvell has two that he might have a year with, uh, but I do think Willie 
inherited the more, you know, the top to bottom, more talented roster with, with higher upside. But I would, I would want to be where Norvell is because I think absent off the field scandal, Mike Norvell is basically unfireable for a significant period of time. And that's taking the COVID stuff out of the question. Uh, just simply where the university is, where they had to go uh, from a financial standpoint to part with their previous coach. Um, and expectations are low. This is a program that's suffered two humiliating seasons. Uh, you're going to have time. Now you're going to have to work from a disadvantaged place when you're, you're working against an absolute behemoth uh, in, the, in the Atlantic with Clemson and where they are. Uh, but if you're asking me, um, I spent about 10 minutes writing positive negatives down on a sheet of paper and uh, trying to come up with the answer. But for me, it was Norvell. So this, this, is, this is really interesting. Josh makes some interesting points. He he thinks that that he would rather have Willie's situation because Florida State was a ninth in SP plus in in 2017, which which is true. I think I can argue both ways, and and I know people want us to give a take, but uh, but I don't know that there's a definitive take here. Um, I'm going to try to not repeat the exact same point you you just made. So I agree that Willie's roster had higher upside, the one he inherited. I think it also probably had more downside risk as far as for, especially for, for his first season. Um, I, I think the floor of your offensive line this year, I, I think is probably a good bit better than what you had with Willie, uh, especially with, with Josh Ball being booted, right? Um, which again, that's, that's something you kind of inherited because the, the acts committed there or allegedly committed there were pre you being hired. And so, like that was kind of out of out of out of your control as far as him, you know, being gone and then not uh, not being allowed, you know, to return. I think you also had really inter- like significant internal cultural problems that that Willie inherited that I don't think Norvell uh, is inheriting. You know, as far as player behavior, player attitudes, that 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 type of stuff. Uh, for the most part, guys did not get in trouble under Willie. At the end of the Jimbo era, there was some stuff that was you know, kind of out of control. Now, with the Norvell thing, I think what he has to be careful of is I do think that some of the top-end talent on this roster is going to be missing in 2021, right? So I think Mike's probably going to struggle to show much improvement year one to year two in some ways. Now, maybe I'll be wrong on that because he'll have more time, presumably, with you know, again, we have the whole COVID thing to to consider here, but at the same time, we're not supposed to be considering the COVID deal. Uh, I, like losing a, a Terry and a Wilson and, and guys like that off this roster are, are probably going to be a, a, a pretty big deal come 2021. Your ability to to take that second year leap, I think, might have been better uh, with your with your Willie roster. You also mentioned as far as like being unfireable. I, I think that. That's a pretty good point. I think in many in many situations, somebody with you know Willie's contract would would not have been fired either. Uh, but 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 he was. We also know that I I think I think it's it's important to know like hey, they cut Willie's funding for a lot of stuff, right? And I have no doubts that because they have the same agent that Mike Norvell was aware of that and probably going to raise a stink if they tried to do that again. We also have more uh, of the ACC, ACC TV network money coming in now, right? Like it's, it's been more established. 
they have a greater feel for what that is. But at the same time, like I think, you know, obviously with Florida State now having several down years in a row, you know, I mean, a coaching staff that basically stopped recruiting at the end of 2017, a coaching staff that connected pretty well with players overall, but failed to sign them in large part because of the product they put on the field in 18 and 19. I, I think Florida State has less cachet now uh, than it did when, when Willie took over, right? And that's just as a natural consequence, I think, of being two more years removed from, you know, that kind of 2012 to 2014 uh, era. So I, I, this is, this is tough. I, I think you can really argue this in both ways. And, and I, when I, I was, I was taking a walk with my son today and Ingram and I were talking about this on, on the phone and that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know. Like, I think that one of the things people, people would probably argue to me, this doesn't matter quite as much, but I'll, I'll ask you if it does to you, like does following a guy who did win you a national title, does that factor into your equation? I don't think it does as, as as much at Florida State because both the fact that you were already following a legend, so like the legend succession thing had kind of taken place there, and the way that it ended with Jimbo is you weren't following a legend who, you know, half the fan base was still naming their dog after 20 years later or whatever, you know? I mean, you, you were following a guy who burned every bridge possible, and, you know, not only did he burn bridges Personally, he more or less went out of his way to um, speak some truth about the program, but I think gross exaggerations at the same time when it came to some of the funding that was given to him. Look, I don't want to derail the podcast, but Jimbo had some money. Jimbo didn't get money as quickly as he did. And as such, Florida State got painted in the light that it was pay with nickels when everybody else is paying dollars when it comes to college athletics. So uh, I don't know that there was this major amount of love for somebody that won a national championship. Uh, but it was it was always going to be hard for whoever it was that, that followed Jimbo simply because of the success that he had on the field. I, I think that's that's fair. That's that's a really good question from from Josh. Hmm. The, the other thing I think you have to consider that question is like, do you think uh, what what do you think Jimbo's SP plus would have been the following year? He Jimbo was going to have to deal with the fact that his quarterback recruiting ended up being really a disaster. You know, uh, for like like. Basically, the, the quarterback recruiting since Jameis, he was was kind of like like the guy you wanted to play for, and and pretty royally screwed it up. Now we've we've chronicled this quite a bit. I I don't fault him that much for the Malik Henry thing because of how early the quarterback calendar starts, and you know when you would have known certain things. And like he could have cut bait on that in the recruitment earlier than, than obviously like than never. I don't think as early as he was on him, that it was something that was obvious to anybody. You know, with Francois, that was just such a bad year uh, east of the Mississippi. And we said it at the time, if you recall. Remember, I went out to the Elite 11 and came home. It was like, God, the top eight kids at this event are <laughs> from the West Coast. You know, like, like this is just a really bad year to, to need a QB in the class of 2015 because you had DeAndre and then you had the other DeAndre. You know, things were not really going that well there uh, at all towards the end. I think he had guys turning on him. So I don't know what the SP plus, like, I don't know what Norvell's SP plus would have been in 2018, especially if, if he has the same offensive line injuries. That's a really good question. I, I, I think you can argue this both ways, which is probably what makes it a good question. Because if it's just clearly a one-way thing, sometimes you can have good questions like that. But for the most part, the interesting ones are, are the ones you can argue both ways. But one thing I wouldn't argue both ways uh, and there's only one way to argue this. You need to go with Shannon Young for your home loan. I went through Shannon for my home loan and my refi. Great experience both times. 
we've had some folks folks tweeted us and email, email us recently just just how awesome an experience they've had with Shannon. Eight four four FSU loans. Eight four four FSU loan. Be sure to give give them a call. Make that your resolution, and uh, just it's a great experience, right? We, we've had more than I think what, we have sixty now. Nolcast uh, loans done over like three or four year relationship. Three year relationship we have with those guys. It's awesome, man. It's just customer service, great rates, et cetera. Like you, you guys know the deal. If you're thinking about a home loan, call Shannon. Austin asks, what are you looking forward to the most about the upcoming season? And inversely, what worries you the most? Austin didn't state this, but for the state of the podcast, but I will recommend strongly that this be a COVID-free discussion uh, and that we look elsewhere as to uh, perhaps what worries us. Okay, so let's go what we're looking forward to the most uh, first. I I think this defense might be pretty good. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, a well-coordinated defense that is uh, on the same page at all three levels that is able to use its talent uh, effectively. Now, look, the pass rush does scare me, but I, I just I go over how much defensive back talent I, I think this team has, and I think it has a good bit. Um, I mean, that's not even including, I, I was, you know, at an event over the weekend speaking to a friend of mine. He's like, hey, how's that guy who did the academic redshirt thing doing the, the, the kid we all thought was probably like a five-star level kid? Like, oh, Travis J? Yeah, like, I, I think he's going to be pretty damn good. Those are guys who didn't even make an impact last year. And yet, like, we're going to get to see them. I, I think the, the run-stopping ability should be pretty nice. I don't think run-stopping ability matters near as much as it used to in, in the sport of college football. Right. Like to me, it's pass defense, pass defense, pass defense, which kind of tempers my enthusiasm a little bit for this group, but not a ton. Uh, I think this could be a pretty damn good defense. And I'm, I, I, I'm going to go with that for my, for my excitement. Uh, I'm going to be ambiguous here, but really, I'm just excited to see a well coordinated program overall. Uh, excited to see what it looks like uh, from a group that I think is, is bought into and has uh, significant touch points with their strength and conditioning coach. I'll put it that way. And I, I do think that you have a more, a, a broader development of the overall roster. And uh, now granted you can get skewed on looking at social media, you know, the, for as excited as we get for the linebacker who's put on 11 pounds of good weight and looks like he's transferred, you know, had a body transformation. With different lighting? Yeah. Well, my point is the linebacker who's put on six pounds and been lazy and fat all year doesn't go to social media and, and post that picture. So you don't, you know, you just get this idea that, oh, everybody's, you know, <laughs> everybody's got abs and everybody's, you know, gained 12 pounds or lost 20 pounds if they needed to or whatever else. So I'd be always real slow about getting too excited about that. And I'll also point out that during the, you know, the dark days of the program uh, or the first dark days of the program around the early 2000s, you know, websites would still go out to voluntary workouts and guys would have their shirts off. And, you know, these are genetic freaks. These are the 1% of the 1% when it comes to the the population. These guys are going to be in good shape and look, you know, way better than the vast majority of our listenership ever did when they looked in a mirror. So uh, just because guys are, you know, got got veins on their biceps doesn't mean that they're going to be making tackles for losses. Uh, but I do think you've got a much overall uh, improved buy-in with the strength and conditioning program and that the overall coordination of the entirety of the program is drastically better. And I think you will see that uh, come game day. That makes a lot of sense. Now, inversely, what, what worries you the most? I'll, I'll be real quick here. Uh, uh, erosion of fan support. You know, I, I, losses are going to come. 
there's going to be some disappointing losses. Florida State's fans overall got got to buy and look at this as a three-year project and not get concerned because they go to bed on a Saturday night and have two bourbons in their system and are really upset that they didn't win. Uh, this is just a, an overall turn turnaround, and I hope there's a patience within the program to see that through. That's a really good one. Damn, that's a good one. I, I will say probably like offensive line. I mean, there's there's a lot of these teams that they play. Like, I think Clemson's going to want to have one of the best defensive lines in the country. I think Pitt will. I think Florida will have a pretty damn good one. I think Miami will have you know an argument for the best D-line in the country. There's just a lot of teams out there who don't have just like decent D-lines you play, but have like really, really good ones. And that's that's going to be difficult uh, to block those guys. Uh, so I, I guess I'll go offensive line. Uh, I, I do want to slip a question in here. From Mark, I, I didn't see this one in the DMs, but but he writes, uh, "Hey, Bud and Ingram, do you think because they signed Purdy and Rodemaker last year, and they have Altmaier this year, that they will play Blackman this year because they don't want to play one of the two new guys and thus show Altmaier that that there's an incumbent coming back for next year?" I guess breaking this down, this kind of gets into some interesting theory. If you're Coach Norvell. Do you try to make it seem like there's a more open quarterback competition going into 2021 so you can keep Luke Altmaier, the, the, the three, maybe soon to be four-star quarterback you have uh, committed to you? Uh, no. No, I don't. I mean, I, I think it's a good question, but I, I think you've got to do whatever you can to win. And, hey, look, if you've got a freshman quarterback who gets in there and starts popping off and having success, recruiting's going to take care of itself. may mean that you lose that kid, um, not that kid, Altmaier, and a very – talented prospect out of Mississippi. But man, there's no promise that even if you tank in Blackman's plays and is not good, that that somehow guarantees you that Luke's going to give you a signed LOI in February or December. Um, you know, that, that that risk is still there. Uh, I just think you, you play the best possible prospect and know that if you get this thing cooking, that you're not going to be losing sleep over the fact that, you know, you, you lost quarterback commitment. Yeah, like the chance that you get a combined eight years from Purdy, Rodemaker, and Altmaier is real low, guys. Like over half of four and five star quarterbacks recently have transferred at least once. Whether you're trying, like, I, I understand the question here. Like, and if they're both kind of even, I could actually see doing that because, it, like, you, you know how much you, you like Altmaier. I think they like Purdy. Rodemaker is not bad. Like, I don't know that any, I don't know that any of them are like super superstars, like, you know, no doubt NFL types. If, if you do think that Purdy or I guess Rodemaker, but I, I don't anticipate that. If you, if you really do think that one of them gives you a better shot to win, I, I think you got to play uh, the, the, the best guy because one of them's going to transfer anyway. Like, they're not going to all be around. That's just not how, how the quarterback position works anymore. What, what do they transfer after their first year on campus or, or what do they decommit based on? Seeing, hey, like they might have a guy who's who's pretty good who's going to start be a, be a multi year starter, and that, that's that's the situation I'm walking into, which we have seen, by the way. Like, I do think this is a consideration of coaches out there. Like, we don't talk about this very much, but I guarantee you this is something that, that that's that's considered. They don't want to make it seem real early in the process that's like, hey, we're going to play this freshman, he's going to be a stud, and, and he's going to be our guy for the next three years, even if that's kind of what they believe. That's interesting. I, I, I like that question. MJ writes, uh, with the financial impact taking a larger toll on universities, do you think we will see any non-cause coaching terminations this year? 
Uh, very good question, MJ. Uh, you talked about the impact this will have on new coaches, but programs that need to move on will also be facing financial burdens that restrict them. I actually think this is going to be very tough, right? Can you imagine going to your boosters and saying, hey, like with, with this economy we have going on with, with, with this economic uncertainty, we're going to need to scrounge up 10 or 12 or 14 or 20 million to pay this guy not to coach. Every year I write this article and it's, it's basically like I have to talk to coaches. So I don't really love saying like this guy's on the hot seat, that guy's on the hot seat, blah, blah, blah. I do think it's, it's interesting if you take the Vegas win totals and you say, Hey, like if Vegas is right, which of these coaches will be on the hot seat? Like if, if they're right with their win totals, and that's usually kind of a neutral projection, right? But like if, if they're right, is like a Will Muschamp on the hot seat, right? Or conversely, like w- which of these guys will be in contention for for moving up? I think that's something that that we definitely need to think about uh, here. So I wonder. I, I don't think we're going to have near as many firings this year, based on on, on record, unless the economy just just rebounds big time. There's not a whole lot of situations where it's just a pure like for cause or excuse me for for record you know performance type thing uh that that I could see making those fires you uh, I'm going to repeat a lot of what you said you know simply the uh, budgets from the top down state municipal everything are going to be exceptionally scrutinized and and again a lot of these coaching salaries don't necessarily come out of uh state dictated budgets but it's still the appearance that is going to be there. And, uh, you know, the idea that you're going to pay somebody $22 million to not coach football for the next three years is, is going to be a real hard pill to swallow uh, for a litany of reasons right now. So, yeah, I think if you're a coach, uh, you probably have a little bit of uh, buffered job security, uh, at least for the next 12 months or so. We'll see how, how that plays out in total. Um, and, yeah, you're right. If we have some kind of wild D-shaped recovery and uh, everything's – hitting on all cylinders come November, December, and 1st of 2020, excuse me, 2021, uh, then then I'll be wrong about that. But uh, with kind of where we are, I think the coaches are have a little bit of a leeway when it comes to, uh, you know, early termination. Derek asked the next question. Derek uh, writes, on the latest episode of Barton and Bud, the wildly popular podcast on 247 Sports that all Nolcast listeners should give a try, uh, added a little bit there, but it was mentioned that Norvell and his staff at Memphis had success getting running backs drafted. Given that FSU has produced some great backs recently, should we expect the running back position to be a major strength for this program moving forward? This is this kind of relates to our thing before. Like, do, do you think kids know who Kenny Gainwell is? Do, do you think they can name the backs who came out of Memphis? If you're a, if you're a daily fantasy player, you know these guys. They, they've been great plays recently in DFS. If you're a fantasy football player, you probably know some of these dudes, especially if you play college fantasy. I guarantee you, like most of them don't know these backs that Mike Norvell put out at Memphis because they're just, it's not a major program. Like they don't follow it like that. That said, this is an area that Coach Norvell and his staff can use to recruit pretty well. I know they recently got some love from Barton Simmons in, in his article, and my co host on Barton and Bud. I appreciate that shout out, Ingram. Uh, you know, like, like the, they got some love in an article Barton did uh, showing like who has been developing running backs the best. So I do think that Mike Morvell's offense uh, is a pretty running back friendly offense. It certainly throws the ball to the running back uh, quite a bit, which I think we can have a debate over whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, just depending on, on kind of your, your, your thought on the analytics of that. 
they clearly have a product there that they can sell, right? They can educate these kids on it. They can say, look, we have had a lot of success at the running back spot, et cetera, et cetera. This is something you guys should take notice of. Now, I will note, some of the kids they got in got into Memphis running back wise are guys who had some pretty major academic trouble. I know they, they had like one who was a position change. They had one, at least one, who was a junior college type kid. They weren't really like finding, identifying these guys and then beating out other big schools for them. For the most part, they were diamonds in the rough type thing. And some of those diamonds in the rough, I don't think are kids that could get into Florida State. At the running back position, for the most part, I don't think is that. I don't think it's that much of a scouting intensive position. If you're a stud running back, I'm going to know it. Ingram's going to know it. Derek, the guy who sent in the question, is going to be able to watch it, know it. Like it's one of the it's one of the positions where it's absolutely just like watch the tape, be impressed by the tape, get the measurables, verify the measurables that this kid is you know like actually as fast as he looks on tape. Okay, cool, stamp it. There's not that much projection needed at running back, so. Like if I was going to choose like which position I'd be great at scouting, it really probably would not be running back, right? Like running back's a position I want to be great at recruiting and at sales. And they definitely have something to sale here. And I think it will be a strength of the team going forward. But it's all about recruiting. You've got to have good guys who like like you know, who are, are good at at recruiting, not the scouting development stuff, recruiting, getting the guys to sign. Again, I'll say it recruiting. That's what you need. And a lot of these guys on the staff are not really proven to do that. Luckily, uh, David Johnson, their running backs coach, is a really good recruiter and has, has something he can sell and, and a good track record. So uh, for them there, that, that's, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, looking at it from a sales perspective, it's not something that you, uh, it's not something that you would have any traction on a cold call. You know? uh, it's something that you can talk to a kid that you already have an existing relationship with and who's interested in you. And you're going to have more traction telling him about what you did at Memphis then. It's not going to be something where you, oh, hey, Johnny, five-star running back, uh, let me tell you about what I did with Memphis, and he's going to be necessarily persuaded. You know, if, you, if you've got a relationship with a kid and you're one of the main contenders, then, yeah, maybe you can talk about the success that you had at Memphis and he'll be open to it. But it's not something that you're going to, you know, lead with in a first intro and expect any kind of, uh, you know, positive response from, at least in my opinion. I want to tell you about, about our friend. Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a board-certified family law attorney with more than a decade of experience practicing family law in the state of Florida. What does board-certified mean? It means you are an absolute specialist in the field, an expert. And Travis is that. Not many attorneys in the state of Florida are certified in family law. Travis handles all kinds of family law cases. He has cases throughout the state. I'm actually really excited now because I think he's going to join back up for our fantasy baseball league, which tonight MLB uh, announced that they have have a 60 game schedule they've agreed to. So that, that's that's pretty awesome. Travis is somebody you definitely want to call. And look, here's the deal: you may not need a family law attorney tonight or tomorrow night, but you never know. And generally, like that's not something you want to be scrambling for if you do have something happen to where you need the services of a really good family law attorney. So why don't you take his number down? If you ever need it, give him a shout. He offers free consults and flexible payment rates for Nolcast listeners. So give Travis a call, 850-435-9919. Again, take that number down, 850-435-9919. All right, uh, Tom asks, what one player in this year's class would be a sign of a significant program shift, regardless of if we could actually land him? Uh, a significant program shift back towards national prominence. 
as perhaps Sammy Watkins or CJ or CJ Spiller were for Clemson or Greg Reed, Marcus Joyner, Timmy Jernigan were for Florida State. Uh, good question, Tom. Good question. Uh, Sammy Watkins, and this will be a, a discussion in one of the moments episodes that we have. Watkins is a real definitive moment in time for me when it comes to recruiting, as was the uh, the linebacker out of Jacksonville that signed with them. I can't remember his name immediately, but uh, there's a couple names out there. The f- one that immediately comes to mind for me, and I'm not saying that Florida State's going to sign this kid. I, unfortunately, I don't think that they will, but Xavier, uh, Xavier, sorry, would be a real moment in time. Now, perhaps I'm putting things onto his recruitment because it's similar to Nigel Bradham, in my opinion, just where he's from, the position he plays, et cetera. And for me, Nigel Bradham was Jimbo's first recruit. Uh, I realize he wasn't the head coach at the time, but Jimbo, when he was first tasked uh, as an offense coordinator, was he was kind of given the responsibility of local recruitment. And that happened to be a Wildly talented year. Brandon Jenkins, uh, the kid out of the other kid out of Wakula, then ended up signing with Miami. But it was a it was a really talented year in the Big Ben, and uh, Jimbo made it a priority. And I still remember getting the little text notification or whatever when Bradham committed, and it was a it was a big damn deal. I mean, it was a local player. It was a guy that I think a lot of Florida State fans thought they were going to get, but that was a that was a real moment in time, and that was the first mega national recruit uh, to commit to Florida State in a while. And it was, in my opinion, like I said, it was the first step in the process of, of Jimbo rebuilding the roster from a from an overall standpoint. I, I totally agree with you on, on Sori, uh, because that would be a real shot across the bow if they were able to get him uh, a, a kid from, from the Panhandle to stay home. Right now, I think they're running like probably fifth or sixth for him. I, I don't really even consider Florida State a contender, like if he stays in state, it'll be Florida. And I'm not even really thinking Florida has that great of a chance right now uh, to, to get him. Uh, so, you know, I, that would be a, a great one for them. I, I know, I, I don't know if I would consider it this, but I think the staff would consider uh, the following scenario, a major win. Can, can, can I go with what I think the staff would think of it? Oh, please. So we, we, we see some of these graphics that they send out, right? The, the legacies and locals graphic. I know Brennan Sinone wrote a story about it. At Knowles twenty four seven, like they would really like to keep these local guys home, and, and Sorry's part of that, but like he's not going to happen. Safeties, you know, Terion Arnold and Amari Harvey, along with maybe legacy safety slash corner uh, Corey Collier. If, if they could get two of those three, or or even all three of those three uh, to commit in the class, like that would be. I do think it's something that would cause other guys in the state to take notice uh, or to take note of them. Uh, but also, I think internally, the staff would, would feel a lot better that they, they do have a pretty special year in Tallahassee this year by, by recent standards. Uh, and ultimately, like, they were able to, to get them to stay home. So that would be something really big there. I guess also you could put in landing an Amarius Mims, not going to happen from Georgia, or like maybe a Terrence Ferguson from Georgia, uh, offensive lineman. That's a better situation, in my opinion. Yeah. Hmm. It just they're, they're just not really in it for very many game-changing players right now. All right. Well, we will end it there. Uh, certainly appreciate the, the questions, the, the general level of questions from our Patreon supporters, but the broader listenership has been exceptional over the last six weeks. It's, uh, you know, we, we've never been short on content, but doing a podcast from March, April, May, and now June has been a different level of challenge. Uh, and just want to thank the, the listeners overall for the feedback 
that they've given us and have certainly made challenging shows a, a lot more easier. So thank you very much for that. Bud and I will continue to do these throughout the off season as we have for a awful long time. Uh, thank you to all our sponsors who make off season podcasts like this possible. And uh, if you do get a chance to leave us a five-star review and on uh, uh, iTunes podcast, it's our Apple podcast. It's, Greatly appreciate it. Uh, means more than it should, uh, but the algorithms are the algorithms. And with that, we'll look forward to talking to you in the future. No doubt. All right, guys. Enjoy it. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Nolcast.